Hello and welcome. This is episode 154 of the Filmmakers Podcast. I am Giles Alderson, I'm a writer, director and a producer and I'm delighted to let you know that today's episode is with the fantastic director Julian Gerald, who's not only directed Brideshead, Revisited and the fantastic Kinky Boots, it's one of my favourites, but also very recently The Crown and Sulphur and White. Myself, Dom Lemoir and Robbie McCain sit down to chat to him. But first of all, before we get there and before we get to myself, Robbie and Dom having a little chat i thought i would give you an offer now as you know my feature film the dare is out now in the usa and canada uh i didn't know but it's also out in canada at the same time as the usa which is brilliant so if you're in canada you can watch the movie as well but i have a little offer i am giving away two free versions two digital downloads two vod's of the dare for you to watch for free so if you want to be one of those two lucky people, then all you have to do is go to at the dare movie on Twitter, follow us and send me our follow you back uh, and send us a DM uh, saying why you'd like the movie and I'll give you a free copy. There you go. How's that for an absolute shout out for the rest of you? <laughs> just go on iTunes uh, and do go watch the movie now. We've had some amazing reviews. It's been incredible. It's been an incredible journey. And I was over in L.A. with the fantastic Richard Short staying at his house and his wife, Teresa. Uh, we had such a lovely time dancing around in our socks uh, in the evenings. But also I went on set with Richard. Some amazing people I met. Joshua was directing, Kelly producing and all the cast and crew. I uh, had such a lovely time. But not only that, but I met some fantastic producers, uh, agents, managers, and I had a really good time. And I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next. I opened the door on so many things, I just kept knocking. And suddenly there it was, the door was open, the dare's out, King Arthur's coming out very soon, Knights of Camelot, which I am literally about to... Um, deliver the movie we're just doing the final bits of sound and vfx and the score and grade is all coming together right now for signature entertainment that is arthur and merlin knights of camelot and i'm delighted with the results i cannot wait for you guys to see this movie it should be around out around july um something like that in the uk i'm not sure about the us yet but definitely in the uk around then but when i was in la it was just fantastic i really had a great time and i can't thank richard and teresa enough for looking after me but as i come back to the uk it is covered in viruses as is the rest of the world and it can bring a downer to us all especially us self-employed creative types the people who want to get out there and make their films on their own and now suddenly it's hit the skids. So all those lovely meetings I had and a lot of those talks I had, I'm still pushing. We're still going to do our best. But what I'm going to do in this time now that we have off, and we do, I mean, this is it now. It's going to be shut down for a month, two. I mean, we're still going to go, right? We're still going to do our thing. We're still not going to stop. And I do not want you to stop. I want you to take this opportunity now because it is an opportunity for those of you who are off work who had to work and oh I have to make my films in the downtime I can't write my script I'm so tired well now's your time now's your chance you have no excuses if you're at home do everything else you like clean your house scrub it from top to bottom antiseptic everywhere but write your script if you're not a writer 
Email someone who is. Come up with some ideas. Write a list of as many ideas as you can. Um, and why not practice your pitch? Because I had to do it in LA. I had to be in a room and pitch my ideas. Great. Practice, practice, practice. Because the more you practice, the better you will be at it. Um, and why not rework your vision pack? Because your vision pack is vital. Because that is the thing your investors, your producers want to see. You, can you imagine this, right? They're getting scripts all the time. What makes yours stand out? Why should they read it? Well, if you've got a brilliant vision pack, maybe you've even got a mood reel. Maybe you've cut together lots of other people's films that are similar to yours and you've put it together. You maybe put a voiceover on it. Hey, maybe you're in the video as well, but you have spent time doing it. Normally, you wouldn't have time. Now you do. So this virus, this thing that's hitting us right now and stopping the industry right now, this is a chance. You have to take that opportunity. I'm doing it. I've already written two uh, outlines. I've got another two scripts on the go right now. Um, I'm working on something else with Richard Short. Very exciting. I'm just doing everything I can and going, well, I have to. I'm doing all the behind-the-scenes stuff on The Dare and on Knights of Camelot. Um, because why not? This is your chance. Go do it. And why not update your website or your showreel? Hey, do that as well. Um, massive shout-outs to all those people who've watched The Dare so far. Thank you so much. You mean the world to me, honestly. Those who've given you reviews on iTunes, oh my gosh, thank you. Uh, for those of you who have actually reviewed the film properly on websites and stuff, amazing. Whether you liked it or not, I don't care. It's out there. It's in the world for you to see. Well, USA and Canada for now. <laughs> and I did go and meet Millennium, my sales team. And I did go hang out um, with some amazing people who helped me out make that film. So thank you all from the bottom of my heart. So what I, what I learned mainly, apart from how to drive on the right-hand side of the road, or the right side of the road, depending on your preference, is um, the 1%. Now, this was something that came up when I was in LA, because 99% of people pretend to be working, but actually it's only the 1% people that are working. So what I say to you is, try and be that 1%. I also learnt about teamwork. Um, I was lucky enough to go on set, like I say, with Richard Short uh, and Josh and Kelly and the team. And it was all about teamwork. And it didn't matter what was happening, stealing a shot, whatever it was. Everything was about teamwork. And I learned that in L.A., people talk about that a lot. It's about how you work together as a team. Because if you don't, people are just going to shut you out. And it's the same in the U.K. If you're a team player, shit will happen for you. Maybe you're not the best in the world at what you do but I tell you what if you're a team player people want to work with you again and you can always get better at your craft if you're the best in the world and you're an arsehole don't care don't want to work with you that is absolute fact because teamwork's so important you can't do this job on your own the more people around you the better it is and finally what I learned there if you're scared or lazy uh, and that is a worry for us all by the way but don't pretend to do this business you have to fight through it don't be scared or lazy be that proactive one working through it all and keep going that's how you survive that's what i learned in la the one percent teamwork and don't be scared or lazy thank you la <laughs> now i've got a rain down shout out to give but Obviously, not too many people might be going to the courses, but they do have online courses as well. So I'm giving Raindance a huge shout out. So go to raindance.com. 
Org and check out what they have on offer. Love you guys at Rain Dance. And uh, I want to shout out to Performance Insurance, who are my insurance company. And they have been giving loads of tips and advice and loads of information on the coronavirus, how that affects filmmakers, how that affects your insurance. But I give it huge props to them because they've been my insurers on my films for the last, I don't know, 12 years. And I cannot recommend them enough. Performance, film and media insurance linked to those lovely people are in the show notes. I'm also going to give a couple of shout outs to some really cool people who have been ace the uh, last couple of weeks. Steamwork Film, uh, Micromania Shorts on Twitter. Follow them there. Uh, Sam Evans. Uh, good luck, buddy. We're writing your script at the moment. Andy Robinson. Uh, Oliver Carson. Now, he emailed me. His Kickstarter is going right now. I'd like you to jump on board. If nothing else, go have a look. It's called Thera P. Um, it's a short sci-fi comedy film about a guy called Simon Baller, technologically inept husband who must stop an android therapy machine called Thera P from stealing his wife. Uh, the seven days to go on their crowdfunder link to that is in the show notes. Go support if you can. And finally, next week's episode is going to be with Diane Knight and Paul Knight. The director, producer, husband and wife team behind independent movies, including Landscape of Lies and 24 Hours in London, or 24 Little Hours. That is next week. The following week is going to be Alex Ferrari. Oh yeah, from the Indie Film Hustle to talk about distribution. So hopefully we'll know some more news on the virus and what actually is happening by then. And I can fill you in about what, um, what freelancers can be doing. I'll do my best. I'll find out as much information as I can and I will give it to you. So without further ado, join myself now, Dom Lemoire and Robbie McCain in a hotel somewhere in London. And we talk shit for a bit before, before Julian comes on. But hey, this podcast, with, this episode with Julian is a classic. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, and remember, go make your film, make it happen. Do something about it now while you've got the chance. Enjoy this week. Enjoy. Oh, oh, and by the way, I started off by doing the intro at the very beginning here. And, and Dom joins in with the ending. He kind of ruins it. So I'm just going to let that play again because it's funny. Okay, here it is. Hello and welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie films to studio films and everything in between. How to make them, how to get them made and how to... Make your film? No, try not to mess it up. Uh, brilliant. Just how to make... I love the fact that Dom is in the room and straight away. Make your film? I'm jet lagged. I'm jet lagged. Oh yeah, big time travelling to LA, man. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute. We've also got in the room Robbie McKay, producer right, extraordinaire. How's it going? Very good, thank you, Robbie. Mm. He's, a, he's a wizard, Robbie. A tech wizard. A tech wizard. We'll go with that. <laughs> because the, the Make Your Film event where he wasn't at the last one, yeah, we totally tech fucked it up. Whereas uh, Robbie will be at the next one, as Dom quite rightly said at the start of the show, Make Your Film, by mistake, but it is about making your film, is on the 25th of March, Dom. Yeah, I mean, you should probably come along. You probably should. Why should they come along, Dom? Simon Cox is going to be there. Simon the Cox. director, yeah. producer, writer, every man of Invasion Planet Earth. Which took over 17 years to make, seven years of filming. It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. It's now big success. Done really well. 19 in the charts. And... And which number podcast is that, Charles? But the 113 I'm going with I don't know <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something it's something I'll take your word for it I don't we, we I'll drop in a different number <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it'll be oh it's 108 <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly we can actually introduce our second one can't we, we can announce our second guest which is Exclusive. Oscar nominated the BAFTA winning 
screenwriter of 1917 and Edgar Wright's brand new film One Night in Soho it Christy is Christy Wilson Cairns she is absolutely fantastic she's a powerhouse she's a delight uh, she's burst onto the scene she's been on the podcast she's also been on the that's podcast that's how you know she's made it <laughs> That's Robbie, everybody. There it is. You want to said that? Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, in all seriousness, it's a good episode. You should check it out. You should do. It's very, very high energy. There was a lot of sugar going on there. There was a lot of sugar. We were a lot very of caffeine. Hyper. Yeah. Yeah, very hyper. Yeah. So, Chris Wilson Kens is joining Simon Cox, myself, Dom the One, Robert McCain at the Make a Film event on March the 25th in the evening. Tickets are available now. I don't think there's any early bird tickets left. They're probably gone. not, no. Gone. Right. But buy so, them anyway because it's really cheap. It's like 10 quid. I mean, yeah. that's nothing. No. It's nothing. It's the price of a beer. In the places I go, Whoa, price of your price, price of a beer. For where I go to some fancy places, boys. Yeah, yeah. You Jones. should keep. Yeah, up. price of a beer where you should be going if yeah. you want to make it to Hollywood. It's true. <laughs> Speaking of Hollywood, I've technically just come back. Though right now I haven't gone, so it's weird. So when you're listening to this, I'll have Listen, some back to the come back stuff going on here from the dare uh, release in America. Yeah, he's daring. I'm daring. Do well, and Dom, you've just come back from LA. Yeah, from your wonderful three-week three adventure. It was absolutely spectacular. Three weeks, you waited that long? Yeah, I just had a fantastic time. I did. <laughs> He's got a huge smile on his face right now. It was now. so good. Was it? It's depressing being back here. How positive was it then? How many meet, How many doors opened for you? Uh, quite a few. I mean, I, I, I tend to take things a bit more informally than like going out and like I'm going to book 100 meets. But I just target, I don't know, just things I wanted to do. I had a, a huge bucket list, had some amazing people take me around different places, went on some epic hikes, um, and then just ended up meeting some you know, pretty good people, to be honest, along the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, was this mainly in the therapy groups you went yes, to? Yes, mostly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, one of our, I can't remember who it was, one of our past Make Your Film panellists... Oh, go on, name was, names. Was, no, I can't, I can't. Okay, but they, they, were, they were saying uh, that a great place to find <laughs> find A-listers in Hollywood is the uh, therapy groups for addictions and alcoholics. So there you go. There so we go. Tip, right? Yeah. Little tip. I, I didn't do that. You could probably work out who that person is if you wanted. You're probably good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think pretty sure they said it, but <laughs> <laughs> probably did say it live yeah. uh, at the event. Um, uh, the dare is out now. Yep. If I can't you dare. believe I'm saying that. In America, the dare is out now. Yeah, so go see it, US listeners. Yeah, you, did you call them assholes then? No, US listeners. Oh, it's you asshole listeners. There you go. So if you haven't seen the day yet, and you listen to this next we'll be tied you yeah yeah what's next yeah we'll be tied you please just go support if you can uh, I'll put links to that if you're in America though you can now get those little things where you can watch American movies here right yeah what's that called um, VPN like a proxy server you mean? Yeah. 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 yeah so if you yeah. don't enjoy the law too much but you're like sort of bending it a little bit oh I don't that's a good thing to do oh yeah yeah I mean technically you're still paying money so I think it's fine yeah as long as you're paying for the movie yes, exactly. that's the main thing good so you can do that so if you are not in the US now you can go watch it it'll be released in so many other territories I just don't know no one's told me when um, and if all goes to plan I might have to cut this out but we might be premiering I say premiering at the Grumman's Chinese <gasps> no way I actually joked to you about that where are you premiering Grumman's Chinese yeah. and you're like nah it won't be that I know it is apparently uh, that's what I last heard I hope we don't have to cut this out I really hope we don't have to cut this out I'll let you know exactly what happens obviously I'll be filling you in in fact I'll be doing a live one from there I say live I'll be doing the intro Mm. but you've already heard that because this is after (laughs) imagine that yeah it's my big sort of and I'm there doing yeah 
Hi everyone. No, no, I don't want to do photos. I'm doing the podcast because that's how much I love you guys. Um, we are here. Where are we, Dom? Uh, a very fancy hotel. We are. It's called the Langham. And because we're interviewing the fantastic director, Julian Gerald, who not only made Kinky Boots, which I love, Brideshead Revisited, but the fantastic Sulfur and White, which is out now or about now. And you've probably seen the poster. Director yeah. of one of the most acclaimed sci-fi writers, Philip K. Dick, for the Electric Dreams TV series. Yes. Personal uh, favourite. The yeah. anthology one. Yeah. yeah. And he also directed episodes of The Crowd. Okay, let's talk about top things to get your film made in LA. Okay. Uh, allow yourself time. Meeting three schedule. weeks enough. <laughs> three weeks is I'm good. only there a week in yeah. a few days. So top tip, allow yourself time because it does take, it, it's a bit slow over there. Uh, people take less meetings in a day. This may seem like very obvious to people who've gone to LA a lot. Is that because you have to drive around so Because you have to drive, everything's so far away. So allow yourself time to even get to meetings, but also for them to get back to you about meetings. Is it like going from Ealing to Shoreditch? It's literally like that, but every, every location you go to. But stuck in traffic. Yeah, yeah. So that's the main thing. Brunch is very good. Very, very good out there. Yeah. Um, that's probably one of the most upsetting things about coming here is the lack of brunch options. What, what, what do you mean, like, special brunch are options? We yeah, talk, are we like, talking sourdough, avocados? We're way beyond that territory. We're, we're talking oh, about, like, oh. I'm talking about French toast. I, I, French toast? I'm, I'm talking about croissant French toast, which is oh. a croissant that has been put through the French toast uh, processing. Right. Uh, oh, which processing. is just outrageous. Mm. It's just outrageous. Uh, so, and all, obviously all the Mexican breakfast burritos and, but, but I guess generally, generally people are just a lot more friendly out there. That's, that's the vibe. Right. People will give you a meeting. Um, even if it's like one of those meetings where like, all right, cool. We've met. Uh, we're not really ready for what you've got at the moment. Because you're too good for us. Type yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah. Even if it's that, at least you've met them. You know. Yes. And it doesn't matter how high up. People will give you the time of day, and they will give you a meet, uh, which is kind of quite different to the UK sort of industry. Which is a shame, right? Which is a real shame. Yeah. Did you go with a package? Did you go with scripts ready? Did you go with your next projects? I know you've got a big movie that you want to do. It sounded next. like you were being quite organic with it, like not too over keen. Like, you know. Extremely, yeah. yeah. I mean, my my next sort of film's already out to cast, so there's not really any point me sort of taking specific meetings for that. But it's just building a base, and I've sort of built, I've basically been everywhere in the city now, and I've built like a pretty good network, because I think that's quite important, because it is different to here, and it runs slightly different, mm-hmm. and you need to, you need to just, yeah, make, make your, make your crew, I guess. Mm. Find your tribe. How do you think we can bring some of that, um, that US, LA magic back back home to the UK in terms of like adding a bit more optimism and a bit less cynicism perhaps into the kind of good question. Well, well very good question Robbie I mean I think the first the first answer to that is come to make your film that's why Giles is the podcast you know that's why yeah. we do yeah. the make your film event is to create this um, community this community where people can be open people can be like relaxed about stuff and you know my philosophy is that whatever stage you are in in the industry like the higher you go the more responsibility you have to help people who are below you and I don't mean like spending 90% of your time helping people but there are people that you know that you can connect other people to who are making their way up Mm. and I just don't see why you should create this barrier um, when you don't need to like if people are passionate if people are like working hard they should be given a chance 
Mm. Do you think it's maybe because there's lack of money here at the moment in terms of projects? Because from what I've heard is people are crying out for projects because of TV. The amount of stuff that's happening now with all the Netflix wanting stuff, Sky wanting stuff, but that leaves the filmmakers who are trying to make film in a in a more difficult position because the the actors, the big old actors, are going well. I can go get do TV and get big money. That's that. Yeah. And the list gets smaller and smaller for us to need a big name to get our films made. Yes. And suddenly we're now struggling to get the money and the big actors. There is an absolute ton of money, like ton of money in in all of the, the sort of the like the new Disney, the Apple TV, yeah. Amazon Prime. They've just got like so much limitless money just pouring into new productions. So they just there is so much more money over there. That's what I think is the issue. I think we now all need to have a TV series as well as our film projects mm -hmm. and that's what I'll be pitching when I'm in LA as well mm. and isn't that a strange thing because five years ago we would not have done that it was almost massively separate you'd have your film people and then you'd have your TV people and you wouldn't cross over well not as much yeah I mean whereas it, now it, it's like you have both and you go oh, what a, oh well, that could be a TV series it's very difficult to if you haven't directed TV to go mm. into TV that is, that yeah, that's is one true. thing that's true that is very it's true it's one yeah. thing to pitch it like they're very, they're very very open for you to develop stuff and project mm. running but if you're like okay I've, I've directed like 100 features can I have a go at you know a reasonable budget episode of TV mm -hmm. they'll be like well what TV have you done it's, <laughs> it's, that, it's really very much like the, the attitude so because yeah. I've directed a couple of pilots now but they haven't gone yet yeah and that's the thing and people are still going ah oh, well we might have to get another director to do the pilots with you uh, to do the series with you yeah and you're like well why yeah. What's, but it's you're right it's that mindset of if someone well, oh we'll just get someone who's done a little bit of Outlander or a little bit of it and you're like well hang on so I suppose we need to start getting ourselves directing those few episodes. We need to just jump in as a director yeah. for hire rather than have our own project from the ground up. Because yep. once we've done a few of them, then it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Got very nice headphones on today, by the way. It probably. is. <laughs> Thank you. He yeah. wore the same headphones he always wears, you know. Oh, I haven't seen They're them white, I've they're quite noticed. puffy. It's the Sennheiser Momentums, if, you know. They're, I, I, I feel, feel like, like, I feel like, like anyone wants to know. If anyone gives a shit. <laughs> I, I feel like he's got momentum today. <laughs> Charles is like, we so don't actually care. No. <laughs> Got them into what? Yeah. You heard. <laughs> he doesn't repeat his bad jokes because then they're even worse the second yeah, time like, around. Oh, it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. They mature like a fine wine. Hey, guys. Hey, Julian's here. here. Hello, buddy. Hi, Hi Dom. Hi. I'm Giles. How are you doing, mate? Good to see you. Jump, jump in there. there. Perfect, thank you, Sam. 45 minutes. Talk filmmaking. So, if you grab that for us, sure. how you doing? You've just arrived, right? I've just come from set, yeah. From set? Yeah. Where are you on set right now? So, I'm shooting at Elstree on The Crown. You're doing those episodes oh, of The Crown? So the series four of The Crown, yeah. Amazing, because I know Ben Caron, yes. um, exec producer as well, and obviously directs some of the episodes. Right. He, he's been on uh, podcasts before, but he, yeah, right. we worked together years ago. Ben's brilliant, really lovely he guy. He is, yes, yeah. yes. He's shooting now, I think, so. Yeah, he's doing his week. block now. That's mm. amazing. How's it going on set? Fantastic, yeah. yeah. It's, so it covers the next decade mm -hmm. in the 80s, yeah. which is obviously Diana and Thatcher. Yeah. So it's, I think it's going to be pretty Anderson dramatic. coming in as, as Margaret yes. Thatcher, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had some great scenes with Gillian. She's Powerhouse. the most thorough actress I've worked with, I think. So. Really? Brilliant. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, great. She, kn she knows every detail about Margaret Thatcher. So. Oh, really? Because <laughs> it's such an unusual choice, isn't it? I think when she was announced, everyone kind of like, oh, wow. That's, but I straight away went, no, I bet she's going to be... She's just got that feel, hasn't she? Yeah. That, that kind of authority, like natural authority. Yeah, she has. And also, uh, with the costume and the makeup, she absolutely looks a spitting image. 
I mean, they're very, they're brilliant, the sort of costume and makeup people on the crown. But there's just something about Gillian, actually, and the way she carries herself as well that uh, is strangely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it must be weird to come straight from set, though. I mean, it's always that thing when you, you're literally filming this morning and you yeah. come here to talk about Sulphur and White so, and chat to the, us idiots the, in the, a room I, about that, I, that I made some time ago. Yes, I know, because yeah. one, one, obviously one's head is totally in the, in the production that you're you're on and, and and all that so yeah but it's it's you know it's great to go back and we've yeah. got the premiere tonight so looking forward to it oh, that's good I mean, what's the difference between doing the crown then uh, and doing something like sulfur and white what's the sort of what's the feel for you in terms of the, well, as a filmmaker well obviously the crown is part of a big it's a huge beast uh, series with um you know obviously peter morgan is the showrunner and writer mm-hmm. and you're coming in to do a that sort of small section of it and it's a sort of you know they're very ambitious each episode so there's a quite a lot of filmic challenges to them but at the same time you're very much part of you know trying to to fit in with the rest of the series and whatever the themes of those series are obviously on on a film you're starting from scratch and you're casting it from scratch yourself um you know on the crown is part of many people who have an input mm-hmm. uh, so in some ways it's 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 more challenging doing self from white it's more frightening because every little decision you've got to live with uh, but at the same time it's very satisfying as well um and interesting obviously they're both based on true stories mm-hmm. uh, some of you know many of the crown people are still alive obviously david who we based this film on is is still there so uh and and it's very close to us being there because he was very much around when we were filming mm-hmm. so that was also interesting and challenging yeah it must have been and, and on, on the crown how, how do you feel you imprint your own kind of vision or ideas when it is such a, a big thing like in terms of um <clears throat> the production side and also taking on their vision but putting something of your own in yeah it's interesting because and when you read the scripts they don't at first sight seem something that you can imprint your sort of vision onto and obviously you very much have to it is very much all within a certain classical filmmaking tradition that is the sort of start of the crown but it's it's interesting how many opportunities both for actors actually and uh, directors to uh, do sort of very interesting and ambitious um, um, ways of, of telling the story obviously the set piece of the crown is very much somebody in an audience room talking to the queen and that's there's that's always there in an episode but then there are other parts of the story and we, i was been shooting in spain um uh, all over spain in the desert whatever and you know one's always looking as a director to try and find visual ways to tell the story or reinforce the story and uh, the crown it it does allow you to do that um but at the same time you you can't it's very clear once you've shot something whether it sticks out mm. um, and obviously the we have quite a generous editing period as well to, to hone that and I suppose it's quite nice having the the opportunity to have such high production values and you know doing kind of pretty big stuff in terms of cinematography and set yeah. design and 
those those kind of options that must be quite exciting to have all those tools to play with yeah i mean it, it's it is a bit like doing a movie um i mean i'm normally fighting to have like two days of a crane on a anything yeah, else i've done totally, yes. whereas on the crown i seem to be able to have as <laughs> the producers when they thank me for saying this but I, I was able to have it more or less when i wanted to and actually it, it does mean that if there is something is required in the scripts you don't tend to compromise too much you you find a way to do it um obviously you know it, uh, i think peter's got more and more ambitious with each script with each series of the crown, yes. of the crown yeah. and particularly the, this next series because um you know i i had shots from all around the world so that had to, we had to find ways of doing them and obviously we couldn't travel all around the world um so but that's also quite fun and when we have you know incredibly good team with mm. design and all that who want to throw in ideas all the time so it's no it's a pleasure to do it must be it, and like i say to have all those at your disposal to sometimes you go oh well i have a crane that turns into a steady mm. cam that turns into a tracking shot because you kind of can or is it kind of a case of oh i'll do this because it serves the story i mean is that that's the hard balance to, to play with toys and serve the story it, it is and obviously as a t director it's very tempting to to throw all the toys at yes. it yeah. uh, and but you know you know and i think and that there's an argument that on lower budget film and tv your restrictions make you think much harder about where you put the money and 100%. where you where you try and land the emphasis um and then you have to fight that little bit harder to get that particular shot with the you know with the you know the producer about where to put those resources and arguably that's a very important part of the creative process uh so it's not always better to to you know uh, and i wouldn't say the crown is so lavish that we get into that territory it's not like a you know no. hollywood blockbuster no, it's um not. It's not. i've been on set i went on set for three days and right. i got to watch what ben was doing and what was happening on set. Yeah. And, it, and it didn't it wasn't really any different to a you know a high-end indie film uh, yeah. you know it was, it yeah, was yeah. you know obviously not it's all big but it was just, i was like okay this is what we do this is no different yes, and I'm that saying. made me feel really all right there was no big people who hanging over your shoulders going no. no don't do that it was like ben and the team just going yes. right we're going to do this and do this uh, exactly and it's not as glamorous people like today i was mm. in the sleet out on a wet drafty <laughs> stage and right. you know bits of tarpaulin flapping around <laughs> and and people huddled around a monitor mm -hmm. it, it it's just pretty much the same 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 it's, beast really yeah it's been mm. out in in norfolk or whatever mm. on the on the yes fold so let's talk about sulfur and white first and then we want to jump back about your career and how you started and how you developed as a filmmaker sulfur and white is so touching and emotive and thought-provoking Mm. and the troubled times of someone who has suffered from child abuse and it was just beautiful it was stunningly shot i thought performances were really really top what was it about this project for you that drew you to it that said yes this is my next project and you know why did you channel some of those shots what just you talk us through your sort of process how did it all begin yeah yeah how did it begin well uh probably cleverly i was sent an early very early draft of the script mm -hmm. and they cleverly didn't tell me anything about it whatsoever okay so i started reading and uh and i was impressed that there was this strange uneasy subtext of moving towards something quite doom laden mm -hmm. and then the feelings obviously of, of horror when that happened but also, I was intrigued by the the sort of 
many layers of uh, the family dynamics that were going on um, and the character of David who had this sort of mask of apparent armour was particularly in his adult time mm -hmm. and yet below it was this sort of uh, anguish that was churning around inside mm. him and and one of the hooks for me was that he he was so successful in the city um, when everybody was stressed out or not able to function he seemed to have this unerring uh, ability to be able to f function under high pressure mm. and uh, make these decisions and successfully make these decisions um, and I thought that was a, a very interesting aspect of uh, not necessarily positive but a very interesting aspect of um, who he who he invented himself from really yeah, as a result behind, of that yes hiding behind but also i mean he he always says it was it was because he didn't give a damn but it also i suppose the, the stresses that everybody else felt were as nothing compared to what he'd been through um so that i thought was really interesting um and that whole thing of the way childhood and childhood experiences can affect you and affect your life mm -hmm. and then in the end you know obviously with meeting with Vanessa and the, the, the sort of very touching love story between them yeah. uh, and the fact that uh, him getting through that I found incredibly moving and and emotional and I, I was you know wrung out when I'd read it and felt you know such an interesting important story mm -hmm. it, it needs to be told which is great. Is that how you often look at scripts and projects for you? Is it, do you find things that move, mean, you. move you, mean something to you? I'll yeah, try to. Yes. I mean, I think there's something that's got to connect, connect with, with you. And, and it's quite nice to read a script innocently, naively, rather than it be framed by your agent or whatever who says it's this and it's this and it, so and so is attached to play the, this you know, role. Yes. Uh, yeah, and yeah. so it's this genre. It's, whereas this was, a little mystery and of course it doesn't give its cards away too quickly either no, it doesn't. Um, it really doesn't. Uh, and I found that intriguing and yeah yeah I mean it, obviously I had a big emotional reaction to it and um, I think you know all the actors did as well mm. when, they, when they they read it um, and it obviously it's f I think films about people's lives I've done a f quite a few mm -hmm. and it's always tricky because and it's about what you leave out as much as what you put in and and something like this it's just very important that it, we kept it as truthful and uh, as possible to his story and not make the audience feel they're being manipulated at all mm -hmm. yeah i totally got that mm. yeah, yeah i think i think um stories that deal with childhood are often some of the most powerful ones um I mean, if you look at films like Stand By Me and Mud, like they're some of the ones that I find sort of particularly yeah. affecting because there's so much when we're in our childhood stages that form who we become later. And it's interesting mm. we're talking about your character here. There's a, there's a sort of a serious strength that's built, I think, from a lot of people that have gone through that stuff and you wouldn't outwardly know what they'd actually gone through and how it formed them. But then underneath that, there's this whole well of trauma that's never really been dealt with. And it's just been kind of suppressed under these, um, you know, these adult kind of patterns. And it's a very, uh, I think it's kind of probably quite a cathartic thing to a lot of people that you wouldn't naturally think have gone through those things to, to watch maybe a film like this. Yeah, and I think it's perhaps recently, um, obviously there have been, a, uh, you know, 
people have started to talk particularly men have started to talk about it it's a relatively recent thing and um i, I think that you know part of it is about the culture of masculinity as well and i don't think it's any accident that he was drawn to a uh, career in the city and particularly a very particularly at that period as well i think probably things are a little bit different now but uh, that's sort of we're all about success and being validated by your success and really nothing else matters um, and was looked upon i mean i think david likes to think now people would notice something strange about the way he is but at the time it was just seen as a fantastic thing that he was able to do that and so there were you know that culture of 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 holding it in of suppressing it and pushing it down and pushing it down and not letting it uh, but of course eventually you can't do that forever and it does come up and it it does come out mm. yeah yeah and obviously came out in very dramatic ways with david i mean the other thing about this film as well it, it's his life is pretty extraordinary he has some you know from sex parties in new york to to this bizarre part of the city parties to the strange idiosyncratic behavior it it as a director it's kind of fascinating to look into that and try and understand the psychology of that um uh you know unusual behavior but at the same time try and make the audience identify with him as a person uh, you know who if they could put themselves in his shoes and you pulled out some amazing performances and mark stanley is a sort of star on the rise anyway as is um uh, emily beecham mm. you know really brilliant up and comers yeah. did you cast them from did you say right i'm going to find that kind of um angle with this so it was we don't know too much about the character of david so mm. by putting someone who was maybe more well known mm. you might have already put some other thoughts that you've seen from other movies into them whereas with mark stanley he was fantastic yeah, like fresh canvas. yeah it's like fresh canvas was that what were your thought processes yes no absolutely and i mean obviously because i knew i'd met david so many times mm. it was challenging how do you when you know you, you've got to know him and you think now how am i going to cast Cuts him <laughs> and, and then of course if you have someone incredibly well known that feels even more weird mm -hmm. um so we did meet a lot of people and that whole thing of how do you hold it in and have this mask of apparent invincibility and and yet at the same time see in the eyes that something else is going on mm. um and they're they're incredibly challenging scenes some of them to, to do uh and and one didn't want to be sentimental one didn't want to be melodramatic and mark is a very very rooted real uh actor um and you know after audition for us it became very clear that he could do it in a way that nobody else could um so it's a sort of happy kind of accident it often is in casting it's you you go start out with one route and then you end up in another and what was great about self from white is you know uh there wasn't this massive pressure to do you know hollywood a-lister so really, and i don't think the film would work yeah. if 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 we had no, so I agree. Well, it would have become something something completely different mm. and there is very much a balance i think in, in finding those actors that look the part or have commercial value versus maybe actors that have you know the emotional depth i think yeah. i think especially if you're doing like a very uh serious kind of film like this with a lot of you know very challenging issues you have to get the audience on side emotionally and you have to have actors that can sort of go all the way in those kind of places otherwise you lose the audience and it's uh that's, that's a credit that you've sort of got those kind of cast yeah and mark he's a absolutely 
first-class actor, really, really brilliant and, and very modest with it. Um, but, you know, and I, I expect he's very much on the rise in terms of, yeah, I definitely. expect to see him in lots and lots of things. I remember we were uh, cast, sorry, to jump, I remember we were cast something about five years ago, six years ago, we went to see the Hubbards. Mm. And they went, Mark Stanley, he's your guy, he's going to be huge, he's going to be huge. Mm. And I was like, I, I don't know who Mark is. I looked him up and went, look, we, we need someone a bit bigger at the time because mm. it, it didn't need someone who was unknown. Mm. But he was already talked about then. Mm. And, you know, especially watching Sulphur and White and how brilliant he is mm. in it, you kind of go, well, yeah, he's, you know, I've heard of him before mm. since. But and this is the kind of film that like definitely puts those people like really on the map really and, you on know the really start yeah. performance to be yeah. like wow okay yeah. and, then, yeah. and then suddenly they'll be just doing all these Hollywood films and it's like yeah. okay and then we'll lose them yeah <laughs> that's the problem we'll never get them again <laughs> <You won't. laughs> and Emily Beecham as well she's, she's yes. just fantastic isn't she she's just got this poise and this elegance she has she's really strong how was it working with the two of them together because a lot of those scenes were quite raw and emotional on that time how did you manage to keep them in the zone as a director how did you keep that and, and build their um relationship to yeah, start off as well. yeah I mean uh, on other projects we've sort of auditioned or had seen you know read read together and we for various reasons we didn't do this I think I'd met I think Emily had just finished wrapped in America on a Netflix thing and turned up for our audition and <laughs> she was like jet lagged and all that. but there was something about her that uh, yeah. uh, you know I couldn't forget even you know again we met lots of people and um I think it was also, uh, you know, and obviously it takes a while for those two to, to build their, the chemistry. And obviously we had the rehearsal period where we talked through the background. She, of course, went met the real uh, Vanessa. Vanessa. Mm -hmm. um, and the way we scheduled it, by chance, there were a number of scenes where um, they had a chance to get to, to know each other. And it, it, it um, and Mark's a very sociable, fun, fun, generous actor as well so he made it you know very very easy uh, and Emily's um, she just has got this sort of slight indefinable quality because the character she's playing has an innate goodness I suppose about her um, even though she's got an edge to her humour and all the rest of it uh, and Emily Emily just seems to inhabit that um, but yeah I mean I remember on the beach scene it's quite short in the film now they had a beach the scene on the beach which yes. was supposed to be sunshine of course was grey and cloudy but mm, of course, um, yeah, and they you. had to race down the dunes but we had a lot of fun just messing around on that day and it's it, it, that all that feeds into them getting to know each other and, and having to them trusting me hopefully and, yes. and vice versa uh, so that one can you know push things a bit further when you get to the brass tacks of the difficult intense kind of scenes when there is uh, both you know, attracted and also at each other's throats because we go through the whole roller coaster, really. Mm, yeah. So, what are the the practical kind of challenges of getting a film of this scale off the ground in terms of? Uh, it's obviously a certain budget level, and yes. you know, in terms of, uh, it's maybe not a budget level that we see many films. You know, uh, no. these sort of days. So, how? What was the kind of uh, restraints and challenges yeah exactly in terms of actually making it happen and well the film actually thinking about it has had pretty long gestation okay like many films of course mm -hmm. there was I think the first iteration was uh, so uh, I think it the, the, the friend of uh, of David called Alan Govender who was a nothing to do with films but he was um, I think given a little manuscript David was originally going to write something about this uh, because mm -hmm. he obviously 
very keen on trying to expose the story and let people know about it so you know as as part of the charity thing but also allows people to come forward and talk about it and uh uh this friend who was a, a mauritian businessman Alan govenden uh, agreed to try and help and i think they got as far as going down a um uh with an uh, american scriptwriter and uh he david sat down with him mm-hmm. and i think in his own words david probably got a little close to it and it included a sort of slightly more heroic kind of angle it involved a lot of the fact that david has climbed everest which is an extraordinary part of the story yeah. um and five times um, yeah well he comes up that's a cheap one to I, film i don't want to yeah. yes <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah that was in the script at one point was it you were like, came well, out actually, pretty quickly <laughs> the forest gump montage kind of scene yeah <laughs> montage there is some lovely moments at the end now not to, to spoil it but yeah yes. to, yeah yeah um uh, and I think from the first, from their point of view, and perhaps from anybody looking at it, that seemed like the obvious place to go because, or a place to start or end and have this big sequence because it, it's cinematic and mm-hmm. it's physical and also incredibly difficult and expensive to shoot, of course. But funny enough, it, it, it uh, and it, it, it was coming at the character of David probably from slightly too close a place and I think everybody felt it didn't work so it then uh, for various reasons moved through to Emu Films and Mike Elliott who employed Susie Farrell um, brilliant great writer great writer yeah Yeah. Mm. who came at it from a completely different point of view and uh, obviously wanted to look at the the personal story the story of the love story and also the the childhood you know how, how that was forged mm. and make it a much i suppose smaller scale story more intimate chamber piece really um i think that was the correct choice really for the source material yeah <laughs> but it's amazing how that interpretation can it can go either way it, so. it does and in retrospect it it, it does but I, I can understand um you know and i read some of that first draft and there were some great things in it and did, did any of it stay did you kind of keep a little bit of this sort of the epic vibe um, or did it all, no, all sort of switch I, over? Uh, not really no. not really uh, i think there's a little bit in south africa that stayed okay uh, so the, yes there was some elements of that and in one f- version of the script i did cut to everest um, okay. And David making his way up there, as I say, that only lasted for yeah. <laughs> one draft. One draft is too big a mountain to climb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and Alan Golovin, anyways, and and uh, stayed on was has been very loyal to it. Were you um, on this whole time, by the way? Were you attached? At this no, point? not no. not in the first draft. Only Fine. when Susie came on. Fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And. Um, so it was that point that I came on yes. really. and obviously I worked with Susie on various drafts mm-hmm. and um, Altitude Films came on mm-hmm. and uh, a bit, they a bit said, like the mountains yes that's <laughs> funny isn't it maybe that's why they came on <laughs> a- then you just took it out as soon as they did agreed signed the contract right take that out can't afford it how, how just while, while you're on the writing with with susan like how mm. was that collaboration like in terms of how much you did you have any moments where you're like this isn't in the script i'd quite like this or i'd like to develop these relationships or there's something i like to do here that's a bit directory and can i put that in the script yeah i mean i love that part of the process and it's i think incredibly important part of the process 
even if nothing changed it's about exploring it and finding getting beneath the surface of, and making sure that you know you understand what the characters are thinking and are is every scene you know there for the correct reasons mm. um obviously before that i did meet talked to david and did some research and then we had i just had a lot of sessions with susie where we just interrogated the script and yes something's changed i think the basic core of it pretty much stayed the same but we did interrogate the whole structure of it um and changed it a few ways and then changed it back again um tried to get the balance between childhood and adulthood and tried to get this thing about a little bit deeper about what it what was going on in the city when david was being successful um and and it's it's very much uh, together so i can't even now think what that was you know but we, there were definitely were things that changed but i think they it happened in a very organic easy way um out of why why is that happening and why can't we see this or you know what's wrong with this character why can't we have to see more of them or whatever? And, and was the structure always, you know, in, in the kind of way that it's ended up? Because, uh, I mean, obviously, when you've got childhood and, and adult stuff, yeah. you can either start at the beginning and end at yeah. Z, or you can do the sort of the flashback. Where, you know, mm. was there a conscious decision in that department? Susie always felt um, all of the childhood, then adulthood, and uh, by and large the way it is although there's one little mm-hmm. jump forward and back in it um i we did experiment with starting with the adulthood first actually and was that in the edit or now when you're writing i think we did both actually yeah okay I think, I think we experimented with both we certainly did in the edit but interestingly i think because david particularly in the first third of the film mm-hmm. behaves incredibly badly Mm-hmm. and is shuts everything out it's quite hard to to get a get attraction on what's going on yes and, yeah. and so, you want to like him you uh, want to be on his side uh, and like, with him yeah, yeah and by yeah. showing the boy first yeah. it, it, you do you sort of understand his world and what he's going through but, yeah. exactly so that's why in the end we mm. we, we we went back to the what the structure was yes um okay so Yes, I mean, it, it was something like Lion is a much stricter one, isn't it? Where it's all childhood and all adulthood. Yeah. Um, Lion's a great film. Yeah, yeah great yeah, film. And But this, it felt, uh, you know, it was interesting to see those threads between child and adulthood. So I think it, and it nat- there was a natural place where we could move forward to David before we went back again. Mm. Uh, and that felt satisfying and, and interesting and also felt more powerful, actually, when we did go back to childhood for the kind of trickier bits of the absolutely drama i thought the young boy was i thought both young boys were absolutely fantastic i actually Mm. i was blown away by how good they were yeah um did you cast in south africa for or did you cast no we well we cast uh young hugo young young david here the all his mates in south africa were all south africa and all the actors there were all south african Mm -hmm. so we did a little bit of casting in south africa and they have fantastic uh, obviously film industry so uh, and and it was so very just very important to get that authentic um mm, voice i mean yeah. we have that scene around the the bry yes and it, it you know i just asked i remember on one take i asked them to improvise around it and they were just they could just drop into that macho masculine aggressive <laughs> taking the piss out of 
David's father mm. with such ease. I mean, they were they were brilliant. Really, brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, very very convincing, and especially to get people to play roles that are well it's not just you, a, a tennis player or whatever mm. it's someone who is potentially a bad person mm. or potentially you know mm. I don't want to give too much away but is you know and it's, actors kind of go well do I want to play a role where mm. that is maybe the intention of what we give the audience thinking I am that kind of a character yeah. was there any yep. throwback to that did actors sometimes go oh, I don't ever want to play that kind of a role no, I think a couple of people didn't turn up for the audition because of it because uh, of it um but and others wanted to discuss it and just talk that through, and you know, uh, it, it's it, it's very important that mm. you know somebody like you know, and obviously good actors realise it's a role, isn't it? And mm. uh, it's a very important story to get out there, particularly in South Africa as well, actually. Mm. Um, and it was important to find. We didn't want a moustache twirling kind of baddie. We just mm -hmm. wanted somebody, you know, who has a certain, I suppose, power in a way that he's he's persuade he's able mm -hmm. to persuade people of things. But he, he was very much part of the community. That's what that was part of the story. So um, I tried to underplay all that side of it, you know, um, but just get that sort of texture of slight intimidation that was. Yeah, below I, thought, the surface and I, I thought it was brilliantly well handled as well in terms of the way you showed certain bits and didn't show bits. I thought yeah. that was just great filmmaking and I really enjoyed that. How? What's your process then in terms of do you, are you um, storyboarding everything? Are you planning everything that you, you want beforehand or are you sort of in the room at the time and working with actors? Tell us about that. Um, so I only storyboard the sort of complicated secret. So we have a quite a complicated sequence with an aeroplane flying right yeah, over on top of the kids which <laughs> yes. caused the health and safety department <laughs> a lot of angst the pilots yeah. were very very happy to fly of course they'll do the everything ceiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think we did South African pilots as well yeah, yeah of course yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have to say they're amazing pilots because we have, I mean the, the bit where we did spend some money was the helicopter following this little plane mm -hmm. and the helicopter literally was on the back tail of this plane all right. the way through and I went up and it was quite frightening because we were so close to each other um, but so obviously I storyboarded that but by and large for the relationship scenes um, obviously we rehearsed it but I like to give as much freedom as possible to the actors yeah. uh, you know so if they want to move somewhere we try and incorporate that and I'll try and gently manoeuvre them into where I would like them but if they want to go somewhere else and do it in a certain way then that's always exciting and interesting mm -hmm. and obviously people like Anna Friel and Dugray Scott yeah. they have a lot of experience mm -hmm. and um, had some great ideas as well so one tries to incorporate that and Mark as well um, uh, you know and, and the way he behaved in the city I suppose that was the other thing is we went to him and myself we went and sat in those trading floors and wow, watched them right. and talked to them and mm -hmm. you, you, you do get quite a sense of the atmosphere in there uh, and David was very good about getting us access into that world mm -hmm. um, and I think they were a little bit suspicious of us you know we might take the piss but uh, um, uh, that was a really important part of the process to just make those feel authentic mm. did, did um, you did you kind of do a lot of um changing of the scripts like when, once you were sort of rehearsing with the actors um and also how is it working with child actors because that's obviously quite a challenge for a lot of people if they haven't done that before 
Yeah, um, we we did. I mean, Susie was always on there at the end of the phones, and there often were things because obviously some locations have to change, or uh, you know, like the city. I mean, I took forever to get that scene of the uh, the first scene when he comes to the city at the trading floor. Um, uh, it was a, with a million people talking at the same time, and mm. the, the figures going up and down, and quite it's quite hard to get your head around it. And we're constantly changing that to get that right. Um, the more technical stuff, I suppose. Um, and child actors yeah i mean i have in the, a long time ago i've done quite a bit of children's drama mm. um, i remember the, watching them as a kid right. yeah yeah right. absolutely yeah children's <laughs> world wasn't it and yes drama the first thing i did really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah totally i'm that old so yeah, you know I, they, were, they were brilliant as a kid i watched those so it was really interesting to look back at mm. your sort of history and go and and that's how you started yeah i know we'll talk so so for a while but it'd be really interesting to quickly talk yeah. about your journey yeah. to getting there as this perfect timing mean, how did you get drama drama how did it happen with those early and working with kids uh, straight away um well i uh, it, it, i started well i started making my own super eight films that was my house started you and spielberg yeah <laughs> <laughs> but then i had to about then i got job of trailer making oh great um, which she I, learned to edit straight away yeah then. i was great. not a very good trailer maker <laughs> but you got a job in it so, so. <laughs> right, so i got a job with it yeah. um and then uh, uh i was at granada television they had a director training sc- scheme okay so i sh- showed them these embarrassingly amateurish super eight films and that got me the job i guess and then i did a uh, did a little bit on uh, i think coronation street and yes. children's war was the first one actually at that point there was a fantastic um head of children's called david Lidderman, who's big will in the industry now mm-hmm. and he was looking for new blood and and wanted to um you know try and do something interesting with uh uh you know and they were very restricted in a studio with three or four rooms and on a ward in a sure. set and so he was encouraging us to try and do something with them and it was the same young young writers called paul abbott and kay miller yeah, who of course miller, now yeah it's big, you know, big time yeah. um so it was a fantastic period actually and very a lot of very creative people um uh, and that led to you going i want to do this as a career I, i'm what well, you were but i mean you yeah. want to keep doing this and yeah did you, you loved just, it did you just jump into directing or did you take any classes um, or was it well i started you what you're doing as an editor as well yeah no i mean i as i say that i suppose when i started doing these super eight films i realized that's something i'd love to do i didn't quite believe it you know uh it was going to happen and i suppose it was just i suppose i was i would have said i was fairly you know cine literate in terms of watching a lot of a lot of stuff and maybe at that point in tv people were quite conventional in the way they approach things so i think that perhaps there was a slight advantage in you know bringing other stuff in a way that isn't so now with a you know because of everyone's cine literate now aren't they but um and uh yeah and it i would just use each one as a stepping stone so a bit of coronation street and yeah all right i'll do another six months if you let me do this and mm. then it was That's great yeah, bargaining me that, yeah and and uh all right then and it kind of uh <laughs> and then actually i um it, it i think i said i don't want to do any more uh the soap operas and they said well we're making you redundant then and right. fortunately at that point i managed to get a um i think called touching evil which uh, yeah. which uh, was a 
in the end turned out to be again written by Paul Abbott and mm-hmm. it ended up quite sort of stylish and fun and yeah, it was good, yeah. early yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of psych- psychological mm. sort of drama with quite stylized drama so and it was quite well watched and mm. that sort of was a was a big, really. big stepping stone mm. which which leads me on because I'd really love to talk about Kinky Boots because mm. I love Kinky Boots right I think it's <laughs> in no, general in general I love yeah. Kinky Boots I wear them all the time but no, I, I thought I, I remember watching it the first time going wow mm. this blew me away with just this and Joel Edgerton in yes. an earlier role yes. for him brilliant, playing really good. Yeah. someone from Northampton with an interesting accent yes. in terms of that, but <laughs> we'll get away but Chiwetel Ejiofor-A you know it's just yeah outstanding and just made yeah. me go wow yeah what was because that, that was sort of your first film you did another film before some kind of life right although it was probably a TV well, that was more a t- it was a yeah. tv film yeah, yeah it's really an extension of what i was doing at, in yeah. tv drama so how did you, you, you make that leap yeah, yeah. how did you make leap to make kinky boots um big movie at the time well that's a good question i think uh i just got sent it and i can't remember why by suzanne mackey who now of course is on the crown mm-hmm. um who i think had seen all my work and liked it mm-hmm. they weren't sh- sure about me i do remember i, I <laughs> had a meeting with then head of uh, buena vista and yeah. suzanne and the others and uh i liked the script but i it wasn't i hadn't done anything like that before and i wasn't mm-hmm. particularly sure i was right for it um <laughs> right. And I hadn't... I hope you didn't say that. <laughs> In the room, I don't think I'm right for those guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very better. Um, but, and I was, but obviously the character of Lola, played by Chiwetel, was mm. pretty much there at the beginning. And right. some of the other story changed. And it was a great um, uh, a story about this family business being taken over by a property company. It mm-hmm. just it felt like it was taking the barometer of the times, actually. Yeah. Um, so as we talked about it, I got more and more in uh, you know invested in it and uh could see the possibilities in it and hopefully obviously communicated that and uh they decided to take a punt um and uh, was the money in place by that point or was it a case well of it was one of it so it was a studio film. studio movie so wow, it was yeah it's been i've been going downhill ever since um <laughs> yeah, but the it, crown. it was depends crown. how you look at it though. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. i think you've got the crown on right now so yeah. you're all right yeah but but yeah it was it was strangely that side of it was was didn't seem to be an issue because i mean obviously there were lots of hoops about is he right and uh but you persuaded them and yeah and it 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 went and also casting wise it was strangely unpressured as well um yeah because neither were big name i mean nick frost was in it at the time but he wasn't no he he wasn't before yeah yeah, he was probably the but even so that was he came quite late to the part and uh you know we went through a lot of the obvious names they weren't quite right or didn't quite fit in Mm -hmm. um uh and it was chiwetel actually who turned up at the um audition uh sat down opened a little box took out the wig put it on really and just became lola and that was the that that was i thought this is going to work and Mm -hmm. i absolutely knew at that point that we and then obviously i met joel yes uh, as well and i the interesting the casting they had a casting head of casting of buena vista in america and she said she sort of rang me up said he's not well known um you sure he's right and i said yes he is she said, I will back you then. And then she did. And she persuaded all the others to fall into line. And that was it. That's incredible. Mm. So good. You must have had a good time shooting it because it comes across that way. Was, yes. was there any issues? You Maybe touch on real quick or was it? No, I, I think, uh, I mean, obviously choosing the music was a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding uh, a 
old-fashioned shoe factory mm-hmm. was uh, that was some of which were closing that we wanted complete access to yeah. while they were trying to make shoes. shoes but we were very lucky in trickers and right. that well, that also was an important part of the process because mm-hmm. i think you just you can smell you can really the leather, can. can't you? Yeah, totally. Uh, that was yeah. uh, it's a lovely part of it, um, and obviously um, working with Tim on the script, he he's just fantastic on the uh, the, the world experts at sort of double entendre jokes and mm. clever jokes about souls and transvestites. Yes, <laughs> and it was uh, I think it was a little bit ahead of its time because at that little, point maybe. nobody was even talking. No, uh, about that. I mean, we have such a new. Mm, now yeah no, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. is it. and yeah. then then that just because i know we've got wrap up and thank you for your time um you know then yeah. becoming jane and then Brideshead revisited you know some some big movies just I'm, I'm working with philip k dick that must have been yeah, yeah. Not, with him, but that's, not with that's, him that's a really <laughs> in like, spirit really 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 <laughs> fascinating um you know material to work with like really that must have been quite interesting because his, his there's so many layers to his um his novels and his works yeah no i i I li- I would have killed to have done it. I mean, fortunately, it was with um, I, I knew the production company. It was the same ones who did the Crown. Mm. So, it, it, but but uh, you know, there's a lot of partners and people involved in that. So I was very very pleased to to do that. It's very unusual in British television to to, to, mm-hmm. to, a to do that sort of stuff. Series. Yeah, and, and something that's that really like complex psychological as well. Very complex and slightly surreal and the type of psychology is is so left field mm. uh, and it, it's not in the normal naturalistic kind of polite British drama way at all. No. Uh, so yeah and, and, and sort of creating that world as well uh, sort of post- apocalyptic world was very interesting and uh, fun challenge you, just last bit of advice for anyone in terms yeah of well I was going to say you, yeah. you've mentioned there that quite a few names who you've worked with kind of regularly or mm. you've met them at the beginning yeah. and you've come up together do you think for filmmakers out there it's really important to establish these relationships so that it helps further along down the line I mean obviously but it seems to have like you say you've, the names have recurred again and again in, in your work Yes, that's true, actually. Um, and I only just realised it by saying it now. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's very important. And I think for directors, if they can team up with writer, producer, or if they write themselves with producer, it's it's so important, really, because it's quite lonely. Uh, and it does take a long, long time to get films made. Mm. Um, so that's a, it's a very important part of the process. And also just that thing, if you're a young filmmaker, is go out and make low budget films as you know because learn by making yeah. yeah yeah you do learn by making it and also you know whether you can do it and you know what you could do with a little bit more money and all the rest of it so mm-hmm. it uh, i think it proves to yourself as much as to anyone else yeah absolutely and what about advice for working with actors then uh, just touching on that because that was really mm. lovely um yeah i mean i i would say it's taken me a long time to work it out and um it's it's about uh trust i think so getting to know them uh uh, talking through the script with them understanding where they're coming from and trying to make it a conversation and not a dictatorial thing in my in my opinion Mm -hmm. um and suggesting new and different ways to approach things and some of which will land and some which won't and just being you know very happy to throw stuff away that doesn't work um and of course casting them in the first place, mm-hmm. most important. 
absolutely thank you very much thank you very much really thank appreciate you. your time Julian absolutely and Sulfur and White is out now so yeah really do go, go watch it. it it's a fantastic drama it's really emotional and it's British uh, some sort of independent movie so we'll go with independent yes. independent yeah independent movie support independent film we have to do that you all know that so do go see Julian's brilliant film Sulfur and White thank you very much for your time thank appreciate you very much it. thanks thanks so do remember if you have liked this podcast subscribe and tell your mates it's so important to get the word out there we're doing this to support independent film and filmmakers so do it if you like this tell your pals and uh, spread the word subscribe to us and, and maybe leave a review why not Robbie yeah, yeah. go to iTunes five stars though yeah you, yeah absolutely yeah there's no point otherwise is there uh, no why, why bother thanks Dom um uh, so where can we follow you Dom on the socials uh, Dom Lenoir or director Dom Lenoir on various Instagram social stuff Robbie just at Robbie McCain on uh, yeah Twitter Instagram all the socials it's, it's uh, a black and white image it's very artistic <laughs> thank you Tom <laughs> I'm at Giles Alderson or follow us at Filmmakers Pod go to filmmakerspodcast.com to get over 150 of our podcasts now or episodes should I say not podcasts it's not like I'm doing a different podcast every week we should just give it a new name each week we should just call it the Make Your Film Podcast wow he's gone there <laughs> he's pushing for branding he's really branding changing the branding rebrand yeah, rebrand um, remember who your audience is uh, when you write your film when you're making your film and get out there and do it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back, back down. down Dom you've got this is your time <laughs> I was to join you do it. <laughs> I, was, I was literally just picturing all those action films with the elevators dropping and explo exploding at the bottom if you've enjoyed this thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed this thanks for listening that made no sense <laughs> if you've survived listening if you've survived listening to another episode of the Film Makes Podcast thank you for listening thus far you are amazing we love you go out there and make your film make it happen me and Dom will see you and Robbie on the 25th of March for the Make Your Film event see you there Take care of everyone. Make your film. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Enjoy the weather.